It is incredible to see you. It seems like it's been forever. I, man, I had the worst sinus infection. And so last Saturday at 2 o'clock, I called Zach and said, hey, you got three hours to get ready. And uh, he did. Didn't he do a great job last weekend? So excited. We got a great, a great, it's going to be an incredible service. But before we do, this weekend every year we take a survey. It just helps us find out who you are, how we can serve you, and hear your voice. It helps us understand the real people with real problems, finding real love. So pull it out. It's either on the left or the right cheek. Let me have a wave offering. Come on. Hold it up. I need everybody. This is everybody. Everybody. That's not everybody. Come on. Come on. I see some of you setting up. Come on, lift it up right there, pull it out. All right, now there's a pen in front of you. If there's not a pen, if you'll hold your hands up, our ushers will come by and give you one. We're going to do this together. Listen, every, whether this is your first weekend or you've been here every weekend for 22 years, again, if you need pens, hold your hand up. This helps us. This gives you voice it helps us understand what's going on and how we can craft and be better at what we do. So number one, how many years have you attended Faith Promise? Less than one. It's your first weekend or you're brand new or one to three, three to five or over six. How many times did you attend this month? Now listen, before you write it down, this is like your bank account. If you guess how much money you have, you always think there's more in it than there is. Is that right? You never miss about $3,000 low. You always, you're always high. So there are four weekends in November. How many weekends did you attend? This helps us so much. So listen, go back. If you got to pull your iPhone out, were you gone before Thanksgiving? Were you gone and break? Just look the, this month, how many services? And the last uh, five, if, during the five years before you came to Faith Promise, did you regularly attend church somewhere else? Yes or no? Because we are really trying to reach people that do not, they're either de-churched or unchurched. What influenced you to attend Faith Promise? Check all that apply, personal invite, social media, our website, our online campus, billboard, mailing, or event. Because if we're doing things that aren't helping us, we want to quit doing them. We don't want to throw God's money away. What continues to bring you back to Faith Promise? Is it the wonderfully handsome pastor that you have? Is it the sermon? Is it the FP student ministry? Is it the worship? Is it FP kids? Is it your small group or the vision that God has given us? It could be one, two, or all six. Since attending Faith Promise, I participated in, in any of them. I was saved here, or I began, or I'm serving here, or I got baptized here, or I've been giving here, or I've attended a small group here, or I've attended our next steps experience. You could do none, one, or all six. In the past year, how many times have you personally invited someone to Faith Promise who does not attend a church somewhere else? Zero in the last year. This helps us in, in what creating what we're going to teach over the next year. Have you one to two, three to four people, or over five people that you've invited in the last uh, year? How would you describe your spiritual life? You're not a believer yet? Hey, we're thrilled you're with us. This is a great place to kick the tires and come check out what God is up to. It's great. So you're not a believer or you're brand new or you're a growing believer or you're a mature believer or you're spiritually stuck. 
So which, where would you put yourself? Your age, middle school or high school. If you're younger than that, you're not supposed to be in here, so we didn't put that age. Uh, 18 to 24, 25 to 30, 31, 36, 46, 55, 56 to 65, or over 65. And then your stage of life. Are you married, never married, divorced, or widowed? Then your gender, which it's usually about 60% female, about 40% male. That has always bugged me. There ought to be more men in the house of God, shouldn't there? Come on, there ought to be more men. That was weak, and the women were clapping. Come on, Bubba. And then what's your zip code? If you'll put that in, check that. That's easy. Now, if you'll just pass those to the left. If you don't want somebody to see your answer, fold it. But pass those to the left. Our ushers are going to begin coming and taking that. This is critical. Hey, do we want to get better? Do we want to get better? This helps us get better. So pass that over, and, uh, and we are going to rock and roll again. Uh, Pastor Jeff talked to you about Christmas spectacular. Hey, fill those and put them in the offering buckets at the end of the service. It's going to be our last huge outreach for the year. And man, we're going to see several hundred people saved as we move into 2018. It's going to be incredible. All right. I got a surprise for you this weekend. You're going to be thrilled that you came. Incredible. Every year about this weekend, I talk to our creative team and I say, how come we didn't invite Halloran Hilton Hill to come during Thanksgiving and talk about gratitude. Because if you've ever listened to 98.7 and you've ever listened to Halloran Hilton here on the radio, which is a good friend of mine, a man of God, man, you know Halloran has got some Thanksgiving down. Amen? So I want to press in, amen. So I want to promise you, if you do what he says this weekend, your life will never be the same. So would you welcome my friend, Howler Hilton Hill as he comes shares. Come on, give him a faith promise welcome this weekend. Good morning. I said good morning. Hey, I want you to feel better than you feel right now. I've got the magic potion. It comes in two uh, dispensations. The first is this. If you would turn to the person next to you, sincerely say these words. Turn to the person next to you and say, you look good today, baby. <laughs> Got to put the baby on it <laughs> to make it stick. <laughs> I remember once I went to uh, my grandmother's house, and she gave me the hug of a lifetime. And I remember I was, I was, um, I was wanting to impress my grandmother. So it was a, a it was a two squirt Sunday afternoon. Uh, that is when you get your favorite cologne, and you're like. And I remember I pulled up at the house and walked up the stubby front porch at her little shotgun house. And uh, she came through the screen door that was intentionally unoiled. It was her primitive ADT. <laughs> and she scooped me up in a double barrel hug. And she rocked me until all the problems fell off. And then she said, don't wear so much next time. <laughs> So would you stand on your feet, give the person next to you a big mama hug. (laughs) 
So if, it, if I had to give a title to my brief presentation this morning, it would simply be uh, Gratitude Gladiator. Gratitude Gladiator. And let's start with some scripture. Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Ooh, that's, that's like a... Jolly Rancher. You want to just pop that in and just savor that for just a moment. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Is that not true? For his steadfast love endures forever. So if I had to bundle this into one simple thesis, it would be this this morning. Gratitude is a gift. Gratitude is a habit. It is a life skill. It is armor plating for the soul. It protects us from the corrosive effects of cynicism. When we are grateful, we live with grace. We develop grit. We are primed for growth. And most of all, we please God. Be grateful. Live the good life. Today I'm here to teach you how to be gratitude gladiators. But first I want to talk about something that I never thought I would deal with. My dad. Um, so my dad died a few years ago, and I, I loved my dad. I just didn't always like the things he did because he was old. How many of you are sitting next to somebody old? <laughs> don't, don't blink. Don't blink. Don't say anything. <laughs> I'm about the same age he was when I was thinking that. Now this doesn't feel old anymore. But he used to do dad stuff. My father was a minister. He was a great guy. I love the guy. I mean, he was my hero. He gave me the one thing that really tra uh, radically transformed my life. He gave me a love for learning. Uh, we, he would go to the, the library every weekend, and he would get two books. And he would read two books a week. And uh, he just was always learning. And dad would get his two books from the library, and I'd go to the kids' section, and I'd get my two books. And every night, instead of watching TV, he would sit in this upholstered chair, and he would read his books. And I couldn't read as fast as my father, but I could turn pages as fast as my father. <laughs> so I turned the pages until I caught up, and he gave me this deep love for learning that has stood me in good stead. And he was a great guy. But he had some quirks. Let's say quirks. My dad was a really buttoned-up guy, too. He was very professional and very proper. Uh, he wouldn't say, excuse me. He would say, pardon me. I'll gladly pay you on Tuesday for a hamburger today. <laughs> very official type guy. So, but he had his little deal. My dad liked two things. Fried egg sandwiches. Does anybody in here like fried egg sandwiches? All with some toast, a little slice of tomato with some salt on the top, and some mayonnaise. Let the church say, amen. <laughs> he liked fried egg sandwiches, and he liked James Brown, which was against the law in our house. It was against the law. So late at night, my dad would sneak and he would make fried egg sandwiches, and he would turn the counter radio on low and listen to the soul station, hoping to catch a whiff of James Brown. The way he would dress when he did this was the problem. 
it'd be end of the business day. Dad would be in boxer shorts, a wife beater, church socks all the way up to his knee, <laughs> and house slippers. He was just a pinky ring away from an Elks Lodge membership, right? <laughs> So dad would start frying his sandwiches, right, frying up his eggs, and he'd turn on James Brown, and he would be in front of the stove just getting it. Oh, oh, oh. And I would come around the corner, and he would find God again, right? <laughs> I just thought he looked so ridiculous, right? I remember I came around the corner one time, and I looked at my dad, and I was like, really? No, 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 son, I'm studying. I need to know what to pray against. Living in an evil world. <laughs> well, fast forward. I've developed a love for fried egg sandwiches. And I was in the kitchen. I always said, I will not be like this guy. I'm standing in the kitchen, boxer shorts, wife beater, church socks up to the knee, slippers on, listening to some music. And I'm jamming. And my daughter comes around the corner. And she says, really? <laughs> DNA. <laughs> All the things you did not ask for. <laughs> My dad gave me a whole bunch of stuff on the inside by DNA. Then he gave me a lot of stuff on the outside by just being around him. You do know that your children and grandchildren will echo your character, right? What if they replicate who you are? Will that be a good thing or a bad thing? My dad gave me some, some things, and I, uh, the egg sandwiches, I could skip that, but he gave me something else. Whenever I would ask my dad, how are you doing? And I knew he was going through tough stuff. He would always say the same thing. He'd always say, I'm going to make it because God is good. And he always would express his gratitude. It didn't matter what was going on. Oh, this water tastes good, or this sandwich tastes good. He was always snatching a handful of gratitude and sprinkling it all over his brain. He was always grateful. I felt it, but I saw it. But I wondered where that came from. Let me show you a picture. That's my dad over there. Do I look like him? I kind of grew these sideburns as tribute sideburns. <laughs> this is my dad, and this is my great-grandmother, sort of, asterisk. So I was trying to figure out where this came from. I had met this gentleman years ago, and the first time I met him, I was a little bit afraid of him because of his eyes. He had these haunting eyes. There was a deep, inset sadness in his eyes but there was a warmth to him. You ever met those people, you know they've been through a lot, but they still are grateful people and they have kind of richness or warmth to their character? This guy had that. He had this just warm energy. He seemed to be very happy, but there was a, a sadness, a tragic sadness. True confessions, I've always been one of those people that never felt like I quite, quite fit in. Any in the room ever feel like you just don't quite fit? I'm a nerd by confession and confirmation. I was Urkel before Urkel. <laughs> Do I have any nerds in the room today? Yeah, and let me explain something to you. You know there are nerds in the room 
because we're the only ones who, if you ask, are there nerds in the room that will actually raise their hands in public? <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> I've lived with this kind of ongoing sense of not quite fitting in, not quite belonging. That can be a, a huge help to you because it makes you strive, you work harder. Anyway, I met this guy and he had this, this kind of look in his eye, he had this warmth, uh, but I had heard that he had been an alcoholic for much of his life. And I didn't know his story. I didn't know what brought him to this moment. And he was just quiet. He was old folks quiet. He was before the greatest generation. He had fought in World War I. He was just a super quiet man. Well, I finally heard his story. It turns out that he had been raised in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, when he was a kid, around 1890 or so, he watched his little brother die. Yellow fever had broken out all over the South. Scores of young kids were dying by the hundreds, and he watched his little brother die. When his little brother died, his mother had just had enough of the suffering, and she just walked away from the family. After his mother walked away, his father, so tragically shaken by the loss of his wife and his son, died of a heart attack. And he was left to scavenge the streets of of Chattanooga looking for food. He was discovered under a house. Many of the houses were set up on blocks. And one night this family hears some rustling under the house and they think it's some critter. So one of the people from the house came out with a, a lantern and looked under the house and they saw these two little bug eyes that were shivering. And they motioned to have him come out. And there he was, this emaciated little boy literally just flesh and bones. And they decided, <clears throat> we got to do something to help this kid. So they took him to an orphanage. Now, what was interesting in the state of Tennessee at that time was there were no orphanages for black children, none. The orphanages in the state of Tennessee would only take healthy white children. If you were feeble or disabled or mentally ill, they wouldn't take you in. If you were black or anything else, they wouldn't take you in. Until a woman by the name of Elmira Steele came down from Massachusetts and she decided, after she had found her faith, that she wanted to do something good with her life because she was so grateful for how she had been blessed. Many of you here today are here on purpose by accident. The chances of being born are 1 in 10 to the 2.6 millionth power. I mean, there's 7.5 billion people on the planet, but in order for an individual to exist, how many of you know about the birds and the bees, by the way? <laughs> how many of you have children, grandchildren? You know about the birds and the bees, right? It takes a unique egg and a unique sperm to make a unique individual. If it's anything other than that unique pairing, it's someone else. So for you to be you, it had to be a unique pairing. And when we come together to procreate, there's a one in 400,000 chance every time we do that, every time we try. And we happen to live in a culture where people like to try. <laughs> so every single person in your bloodline had to be exactly who they were, when they were, for you to exist right here today. So out of an infinite array of choices and chances he picked you to be here right now on purpose. 
And she felt so honored to have been selected to be alive. Her husband died when she was 35, but he left her a business, a life insurance policy, and a lot of money. And it was out of her gratitude that in the lottery of life, she had been picked to at least have some abundance. Out of that gratitude, she felt like she needed to go do something. And here's something that happens. When you become a gratitude gladiator, when you get grateful for what God has done in your life, you want to go do something for someone else. So she goes down to Tennessee, and she decides that she's going to take in all the unwanted children in Chattanooga. She buys three little houses in the ghetto, and she starts taking in little children. She had a house for boys and a house for girls. She gets the houses up and running, and people from the city come in, and they don't like what she's doing, so they burn the houses down. And she's left with a dilemma. What do I do? So she decides to cash in her life savings, sell the business, cash in the insurance policy, and build this. That is the Steele Home for Children. It was built by Elmira Steele. There's a, a historic marker at the University of Tennessee, Chattanooga. Well, this man <clears throat> that I met was raised by that lady right there. He was raised up in that place. He was an orphan. I think his growth was stunted because he never got beyond about 5'3 and 135 pounds. Fought in World War I. Came back home, worked in his community. He got married to a woman named Flora Lee. She was 5'3 in every direction. <laughs> and they had seven children. They liked to try. <laughs> but he had been self-medicating his PTSD and his rejected life and his abandonment with alcohol. But my father tells me that he used to always say, no matter what was going on, I'm going to make it because God is good. That man that was raised in that house was my grandfather. What cause does a person born in those circumstances have for gratitude? Why would he say God is good? Why would he believe me to this place this morning? Because he knew gratitude is a warrior's skill. Gratitude is the thing that will change your life. And I want to show you three ways in which this gratitude gladiator, this guy who loved me here, gave me a skill set on the inside that has changed my world on the outside. So let me start with the first thing that gratitude does for you. Gratitude is about grace. How many of you have one thing for which you're grateful this morning? Take 10 seconds and tell the person next to you one thing you're grateful for. What are you grateful for? Your sister? What are you grateful for, sir? Just being here. Somebody else, give me something you're grateful for. He said, my wife. She said, my husband. They like to try. All right, so... Kid, just kid, just kid. <laughs> you want to know one thing for which I'm grateful? A hot butt. He looked at me like, dude, really? 
I know we may have a band, but we're in church. <laughs> no. When I moved here 28 years ago, I did not have a vehicle. And I would be standing out on the bus stop waiting for the bus, and I would be cold. This morning when I got in my car, I was driving over here, and I pressed the little button in my car. And I had a very hot... <laughs> Gratitude is so powerful. If you want to find your gratitude, the first thing you should do is think about God's grace. God's grace in your life. If you just think about God's grace, has God been graceful in your life? Has he, has he blessed you? Has he been merciful? And if you think about God's grace, it evokes gratitude. And people who live with gratitude have a certain grace over their lives. There is a warmth, there is a, a beauty to their lives when people are grateful. I, I believe that if you would embrace this, it's a great thing. Let me show you what happens in the mind, though. The brain research is pretty incredible. This is the brain. Uh, your brain is what they call the, the three-pound universe. It has 100 billion neurons making a trillion neural connections. And this is the way our brains work. When we think a thought, we lay down a neural pathway. The more times you think that thought, the thicker the pathway becomes until it locks as a pattern. The old folks call it being set in your ways, right? How many of you are sitting next to someone that is set in <laughs> Never mind. All right. So, <laughs> But what they had not thought about until recently was the idea of neuroplasticity. That if you could find a better thought and begin to think that thought more habitually and persistently, that the old thought starts to weaken, the new thought starts to strengthen until you're set in new patterns. Here's a truth for you. You are where you are because of your mindset, and you will be where you end up because of your mindset. Here's a secret. It's your mind to set. So here's what happens. When you keep a gratitude journal, which is what I would recommend to everybody in the room, gratitude journal, what you're doing is you're laying down new neural pathways. And the more you do that over and over again, it starts to reformat your brain. So here's what I like to say. The old folks used to say this, count your blessings. I think we need to go back a slide. I think it's in there somewhere. There it is. Count your blessings. Remember the old folks used to say that? Count your blessings. Name them. Count your blessings. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. They don't know that one? <laughs> if we put guitars on it, would they? <laughs> So, here's what you do in your gratitude journal. Here's what I want you to do for the next six months. Start the day this way. You need to write it down because we're laying neural pathways. We're reformatting your brain. First thing you want to do is write down three things for which you're grateful. Every morning, three things for which you're grateful. Next, I want you to write down three things that would make the day great. Three things that would make the day great. <clears throat> Why do you do that? Because you're setting your intention, and intention focuses attention. You'll be looking for it to be great. And then at the close of the day, I want you to write down three things. What went well 
today. Not what went bad, but what went well today. Now, what they found, scientifically proven, is that people who keep a gratitude journal, after about six months, your mind and your spirit just starts to lift. Your sense of well-being just kind of rises. Because what happens is, how many of you have ever bought a car and then you start seeing them everywhere? And it's not because there are more of them the day after you bought yours. It's because your awareness of them has shifted. What happens is when you get into a gratitude mindset, you wake up in the morning and all of a sudden you're on the hunt for something for which to be grateful. You start noticing your hot butt when you didn't notice it before. <laughs> the water gets colder. The ice cream is sweeter. The hugs feel better because your intention and attention is focused in a different way. Does that make sense? So it'll add a certain grace to your life. The next thing it will do for you is it gives you grit. Gratitude gives you grit. Navy SEALs, Special Forces, one of the things they teach them to do as a survival skill, and it's the same thing my grandfather and father did, be grateful. Gratitude gets you through the tough times. Yeah, but. So when, what they found is with Navy SEALs, when they would train them in Special Forces, if you put them behind enemy lines, the negative people died, the positive people stayed alive. And here's how you stay alive. One is, think of something for which you're grateful. Because gratitude generates hope. Hope makes you want to fight another day. It gives you that something to push through. How many of you are going through a tough time right now in your life? Anybody? If you could find a way to use gratitude to give you the grit to push through this moment unto a better moment, it'll make your life different. And people who live with a great sense of gratitude find an uncommon amount of grit. And life demands it because life gets tough. I said life gets tough. I said life gets tough. Oh, ask the Vols. <laughs> See what I did right there. <laughs> grit. Finally, be grateful, be gritful. When you have a bad thing happen into your life, just start looking for something for which to be grateful. It'll get you through that moment. And then finally, growth. Gratitude is a great way to grow. If you believe this, all things work together for my good. If you believe that all things work together for your good, then you'll never have a bad day in your life because you know that God is putting something in your life to make you better. He's not doing something to you. He's doing something for you. And if you thank God, it says in everything give thanks. If you thank God during the tough times in advance for the growth that is happening in your life, you will grow more than you ever imagined. And I'll tell you this, the tough things in life have caused me to grow more than the nice things. How many of you have had a bad situation that made you better? How many of you are sitting next to your bad situation? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding with you guys. I remember uh, my dad, you know, who I've been talking about. I remember I was getting ready to go to college. I have four siblings that are nine years plus older than me. I came along as a surprise child. My parents had shut down production. And, um, <laughs> and so when they got in their 40s, here I come. And my father had prepared to send my brothers and my sister to college. And when he came to me, 
there was no money left and there was no credit to borrow money to get me through school. And I remember my dad looked at me and he said, I want you to go to college and I expect you to figure it out. I thought that was tough. Right before he died, I was asking my dad a series of questions. I said, why did you say that, Dad? He said, it was a compliment. I knew you had it in you, and I wanted to show you you. I wanted to show you what you were made of. Because if your grandfather could push through what he pushed through, you could push through your situation. It's your turn. I was like, wow. And having to figure it out made me a much better person than if I had had it handed to me. That tough time actually helped me grow. Gratitude is that thing that will change your life like you never imagined, and God gave it to you as a gift. This is why I say use gratitude for growth, and I finish with this. Grace, grit, growth. Gratitude provides all of the above because gratitude is a gift. Gratitude is a habit. It is a life skill. It is armor plating for the soul. It protects us from the corrosive effects of cynicism. When we are grateful, we live with grace. We develop grit. We are primed for growth. And most of all, we please God. Be grateful. Live the good life. God bless you. That's the kind of people I like to hang out with, amen? Now, maybe you're here and you say, Chris, I just don't think I could do that. Well, when, when I was in Louisiana pastoring our first church, I began to journal, just like Halloran talked about. But back then, I used an acrostic, A-C-T-S, Acts, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving. And I wasn't a thankful guy. I was a cynical guy because Christians like negativity. I mean, you, are, are y'all with me? We like critical. We like negative. And so that's what I was. But because it was a Thanksgiving, I, I didn't feel thankful. I just started writing it. I was critical of Michelle. I was critical of my kids. I was critical of the church. I really was critical of everything. And so I would say, I'm thankful for Michelle. And I would say, because. I'm thankful for my kids because. And I'm thankful for the church because. And not in a week, not in a month, but like Helen said, in about six months, the fog lifted off me. And I became a thankful person. And, and, and I saw my wife in a new light. Instead of being critical, I began to be grateful and looked at my kids in a new light. And I got Mike and Zach. And so I, you know, I, and it changed my life. So I want to challenge you for six months. Do what Halloran said. Do a gratitude journal. Do it in the morning. Three things which you're grateful, three things that make the day great. In the evening, you review your day, three things that were great about the day, and you will begin to see. Now, some of you this would be difficult for because you've never met the one who transforms your thinking. Because the Bible says in Romans 12, to, to, to renew your mind, have your mind transformed. Well, that's only for believers. And maybe you're here this week and somebody drug you, you showed up. Maybe you're here for Thanksgiving and somebody made you come this weekend. And this is what we call a divine appointment for you. The Spirit of God is speaking to you right now. So if you're ready right now to give your heart to Jesus, God's ready to adopt you. Like Halloran's great-grandfather was adopted by Miss Steele. 
a, a young black boy in a white world by a white woman. When that happened back in those days, that's a God thing. That's a God thing. And so if you're ready to be adopted by God, he's ready to adopt you. So with every head bowed, all of our campuses, if you're ready, we're going to pray this simple confessional prayer out loud with you. Pray with us. Dear Jesus, I know I've sinned. I know we're separated. I'm so sorry. Forgive me. Come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I will live for you because you died for me. Transform my thinking. Make me grateful in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, come on, had it been good to be in the house of God this weekend? So if you just gave your heart to Jesus, pull the communication card out right in front of you and check the box. I prayed with the pastors. Give us your name, your email, your cell phone. We'll follow up. Or maybe you need to follow on in baptism or you haven't been to our Next Steps class, Next Steps Experience, the second weekend at every campus. Sign up for that. Find out how to get more connected, just how to, how to walk, a, just really a better life. So if you want that, if you'll sign up for that, and then as we get ready to give, if you'll fill those guest cards, communication cards, then drop for the offering buckets in a couple minutes. Uh, as I got to my office this morning, I opened, there's always a stack of mail because I'm using my home office on Thursday and Friday. And, and I, I got another check. The Department of Corrections, Nashville, Tennessee. And another one of our God buying bars guys said, hey, this is for heart for the harvest. Now, 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 this is a $50 check. How many of you know that's probably more than a tithe for an inmate in the state of Tennessee? How many of you believe that's a sacrificial gift? Come on. No doubt. And so, do you know what makes it easy to give? Gratitude. God said, don't get out of a necessity. Don't get out of a compulsion. For God loves a cheerful, hilarious, a grateful giver. So we give to God because he's given to us. Miss Steele blessed those 1,400 orphans in that home because she had been blessed. We are blessed to be a blessing. Amen? So as our ushers come forward, if you, again, if you're a guest, drop your guest card in the bucket. As they come forward, let's pray. God, we just ask you right now to bless, bless this offering, bless every gift, bless the giver, God, I pray that for the provision across every family at all of our campuses, even our God behind bars, we ask you to move in this and take it and use it for your glory and your honor. We give you to you because we're grateful for you. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, come on, give him praise as we begin to give.